at the end of every season, when you look back at it as a coach, you never sit there and go, man, if we had taken one more BP, we would have been national champions. If we would have taken one more bucket of ground balls, we would have won our conference. You know, at least in my coaching career, I've never said that at the end of the year. But I have said, if we could have reached one or two more young men, that could have been the difference. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for listening today. I'm honored to introduce Brian Conger, head coach at Tarleton State University. Coach Conger and his staff put a huge emphasis on data-driven player development. So we talk about how to help our practices become more efficient, how to incorporate life skills on a daily basis, and we discuss several things that having data has changed his mind about regarding not only player development, but also how to play the game. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Conger. Coach Conger, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve. I appreciate you having me. Very honored to join you today, and, and the great work that you're doing has is, is, uh, been a lot of fun for me to listen to your podcast over the week. Uh, I think you're doing an outstanding job for our game, and we really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that, and you know, just to, to give some compliments back to you, you're one of my favorite Twitter followers because I've started, and this is just the last couple of years, to really geek out about things that I can measure and, and data. And you're one of my favorite guys because you just literally put every single thing out there that you guys are doing with the weighted bats, the weighted balls, the modus sleeve. And I think that's just, that's awesome. It's fantastic. And it's going to help grow our game. So I wanted to say, wanted to say thank you for that, especially. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. We're just putting it out there and, you know, it doesn't mean we're right or wrong. We're just, you know, doing the best we can to grow as coaches and, and provide as many opportunities for our players to get better. And what we've found, honestly, is that it's been very beneficial in, in just creating dialogue amongst coaches and, and, you know, we're all trying to learn. And so we'll put it out there. And you know, as I've told people, we'll hit some, we'll miss some. And, and but hopefully the dialogue grows and, and we can all learn together. Definitely. We're all in this together. Iron sharpens iron. But for our listeners who may not know where Tarleton is, can you talk to us about, you know, how you got there? What you're maybe if you want to go into your playing career, that's fine. But but where Tarleton is, what you guys are trying to build there, and and even why you got into coaching in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're located in Stephenville, Texas. Um, we're about an hour southwest of uh, Fort Worth, and we're an NCAA Division II program. And as far as my coaching career, uh, in listening to your podcast, I was actually kind of uh, chuckling the other day because it seems to be for a few of us a, a, a common thread in that I had absolutely no desire, no aspirations, no thought processes of going into coaching. And when I finished my playing career, uh, I, you know, earned my degree in communications from from Tarleton, and I was actually talking to my my head coach one day, and he asked me what I was going to do with my life, and I said, well, you know, I got my uh, degree in communications and, and I want to go into some sort of broadcast journalism. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, so let me get this straight. You got a BS in communications. And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, well, that sounds, that sounds exactly about right. He goes, you know what a BS in communications is, right? And I go, yes, sir. And he goes, well, you can talk. That's for sure. So, <laughs> you know, but he, he kind of looked at me and he said, you know, I'll be honest with you, Congo. He goes, you need to be a coach. And I was like, you know, Coach Allen, I appreciate that, uh, but I have no desire to. And uh, he said, well, look, you can make a bigger impact on the lives of young men than uh, being a coach than you ever will uh, going into broadcast journalism. And he said, I want you to think about that and come back and see me in a week. 
so, you know, I went home, thought about it, and I was like, you know, that would be pretty cool to be able to, to make an impact, uh, to help uh, young men grow, uh, help them turn into uh, what it is that they want to become. And uh, so I just went back to the office, said, I'll, I'll take you up on that. So what do I do? I don't know how to coach. I've been coached, but I don't know how to do your job. And, uh, you know, he basically said, I want you to work with the pitchers. You know, so one of the first things I did, to be honest with you, Jonathan, was, uh, you know, I was smart enough to know what I didn't know. And I knew that I didn't know anything about coaching pitching, even though I was a pitcher. So I just started reading. I got my, you know, and this was before really the Internet and everything else, which tells you how old I am. But so I just started reading anything I could get my hands on, you know, and went to work for Coach Allen, was here for two years while I got my master's degree. Got my first job offer at Lamar Community College in Colorado, working with Scott Crampton. Uh, he was bold enough, and as I tease him to this day, crazy enough to hire me. <laughs> and so uh went up there for two years. The second year we were there, we went to Grand Junction. And at the time, we had we held the, the uh, junior college record, I believe it was, for most wins, consecutive wins in a season uh, until Howard broke it a few years back. Uh, but we were very fortunate. We had some really good players. I uh, had Brandon McCarthy on that that team, who's a big leaguer. Had oh, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think we had like seven or eight guys drafted off for that team. Uh, we finished finished the year fifty nine and five. Uh, it's just one of those, you know, really blessed seasons. You're, you're fortunate to be a part of every once in a while. And from there, I, I was offered the head coaching job at Cloud County Community College in, in Kansas, and accepted that. Uh, coach Crampton was like, "You need to go be a head coach." And so I accepted that, was there for a year. At the end of that year, I was offered the pitching job at the University of Utah. And that's always an interesting story if we ever have time for that one, on how that all happened. But accepted that position, moved the family up to uh, Utah, was there for five years. And we were just, you know, plugging away, loving it, every bit of it. And uh, when this job became available... You know, my wife and I talked about it and, and we love Salt Lake. We love our life there. You know, we, we, we were very fortunate. We had a, a house at the base of the mountains. And so you got to wake up every day and just the mountains were your, your, your view out of your front porch and your back porch. Mm-hmm. And, um, very, very fortunate there. But, you know, we talked about it and this was an opportunity for, for us to, to get our children back home to Texas, get them to where they can be around, uh, grandparents. You know, and family before grandparents, et cetera, uh, before, you know, we run out of time with them. Uh, and then also would allow me to, to have a little bit more family time, to be honest with you. You know, you know, I was a recruiting coordinator and, and all the guys out there listening that are, or division one recruiting coordinators, you know, th- those guys probably have the toughest job in division one baseball. You, you don't see your family much. You do a lot of communicating and a lot of your parenting through the phone. And I just kind of got to the point where, you know, I kind of, I wanted to, I wanted to be more than that to my kids. I wanted to be more of a, of a, a father uh, to my kids and more of a husband to my wife. So, you know, I kind of stepped back a little bit uh, and coming here allowed me to do that. And so, you know, that's kind of full circle how I ended up here and a little bit of the wise. Got it. And so you went from the mountains in Colorado, so the Rockies, to... Stephenville, Texas, where you could see basically no mountains for what two hundred miles, I'm sure at least. <laughs> yeah, a- you know, I was just gonna say, yeah. My wife and I used to joke about it because when we took that first job in Colorado, 
uh, we were in the southeastern corner of the state where there are no mountains. And so <laughs> it's actually the, the, the area there is West Texas at elevation. So it's just tumbleweed and brush, but at about 6,000 feet. And then when we moved to, to Utah, that's, that's where we lived in the mountains. And that was, that was a lot of family fun. I mean, you don't need much when you live in the mountains to, to entertain the kids and, you know, they were small and, and I can remember one of the, one of the things that we used to joke around with the kids when they were, you know, four or five years old when we were in Utah was, you know, you come home and we'd go for a little walks here and there and just tell them, you know, we're out looking for Bigfoot because if there is such a thing as Bigfoot, he has to live somewhere like this. And so, you know, it was, it was a family joke where for a little bit, I think our kids were actually convinced that we lived near Bigfoot. And so I had to do some explaining it. Once they got old enough to understand that part, but. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, so let's talk about Tarleton and what being a Tarleton Texan looks like. What do you guys, you know, stress to your players? What does the mold look like? What are you looking for in recruits? And, you know, if you could go into some details about that. Yeah. So for us, you know, we're, we're a small community. We still have a small town feel. And so what works best for us in our area, you know, what we look for are just the good old fashioned dirt bags, the kids that get after it, you know, at the division two level, you're going to, you're going to get kids that are physically talented, but maybe didn't get as much exposure as other kids. And so for us, we really just kind of, I know a lot of coaches say it, you know, we want to be blue collar and this and that, but if you, if you come out to our program and you watch us day in and day out, that's, that's a methodology of ours. Um, we like to refer to it as in, engaged work as opposed to hard work. Uh, you know, hard work sounds like it's going to beat you down, like it's not something that you're going to enjoy. Um, and one of the things that we try to get across to our young men is uh, whatever it is in life that you're going to do, you need to be fully engaged into that. And so when we are training, if you will, we want to have engaged work and, and along and engaged work allows you to have fun along the way. I think sometimes the term hard work, again, can get misconstrued and and, and Kids and people can look at it as, as laborious and things that they don't want to do where, you know, our approach is you come in, you get after it, uh, you get your work done and you get out of here. And that's the goal. Uh, and, you know, and as far as our style of play, uh, I think it's constantly changing. And I think it needs to a little bit at our level because with recruiting, you know, we all say we want to get our kinds of guys and we all strive to do that. But year to year, there's no guarantee that we're going to be have as much team speed as we always want or we're going to have as much power as we always want. So we're always kind of morphing uh, what it is we do into what it is we have. But it, it all starts with just finding kids that are willing to, to get after it. And in the recruiting process, when we bring kids on on visits, you know, we tell them straight up front that it's going to be really low key. There's going to be no pressure on our end. Uh, we're simply going to take you through a day in the life of and it's up to you and your parents to figure out if this is a part is this something you want to be a part of uh, because you know we're one of obviously thousands of programs in the country and we have our belief system and and so we just simply say it's up to you to figure out if, if this would be a good fit here's what we do here's what we believe in and the rest is up to you and so if you decide that you want to be a texan if you decide that this is what you want to do we want you to know up front everything you're going to be in for. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to expect that you go to class. We're going to expect that you get good grades. We're going to expect that you, you know, represent your family's name in the highest manner, 
on the field and in, in public here. And this is a small community, like I said. And so you're known. The kids are known. And uh, how you behave at the grocery store is vitally important. You know, it's always nice when you get compliments from people in town of, hey, coach, one of your boys helped me load up my car, you know, when I was at the grocery store. And, you know, hey, coach, just wanted you to know, I've gotten this one a few times, you know, wanted you to know that we had a flat tire this weekend and, and your boy stopped and helped us change it. And it just really means a lot to us as a community that, that we have young men here like that. And so those are the things we're looking for. And those are, I think, probably the things obviously every coach is looking for. But it's just it's part of who we are. It's part of being a Texan. And I think when you talk to most people from the state of Texas, that's that's who we are. I mean, you see the the kind heartedness, the the humility, the willingness to help others. Uh, that's kind of what we want to be about. And, and that's what we strive to identify and then, and then help those young men grow. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, and I love that. And, and I think that that's, you know, one thing that we as coaches want to take from coaching our kids is those things. You want them to be humble. You want them to be hard workers. You want them to be contributing citizens to society and just great husbands, fathers. And so I think that that's, uh, that's fantastic. And, and I love that. But let's actually get into the, let's get into the fall a little bit. And what does a typical week look like for you guys? I know that that following you this fall was a lot of fun because you guys are throwing around tons of heavy weights and weighted balls and you got the rap soto working your moda sleeves and so we can spend i'm going to be honest with you we could spend all day on this but if you could just take us through what the life of a texan looks like in the fall that would be awesome yeah so we made a change this year this is our first year and we've got a ton of questions and my assistant coach ben buck has been phenomenal and I'll give you the, the head coach plug for the assistant coach. Uh, somebody needs to give that, that man a, an opportunity to be a head coach real soon because he has an elite mind and he, uh, his thought processes are phenomenal. But we made a change this year. Uh, we went to the axe bat and the, and the training of that end of it. And so when we sat down this summer as coaches and made the commitment to, to go that route, uh, we wanted to restructure the way we did the fall. Because Coach Buck played for me in junior college, and then he played for me at the University of Utah. And so he's been familiar with the way I, I go about things for years. And he wanted to have something measurable on the offensive end the same way we have something measurable on the pitching end. And so uh, when we made that commitment, we talked to the guys at, at, at Driveline and the guys at Axe, you know, and, and we kind of sat down and, and the two of us game planned how the fall was going to look this year. So this year's fall was different for us. Um and what we did is we went into team practice immediately. And usually we take a few weeks of individuals going to team and then back into individuals. But our thought process this year was we've got returners. We've got a, a good number of returners. We're going to lean on them to lead and, and, you know, bring the new guys along with us, but we're going to get into it. We're going to play. We're going to do our team practices and then we're going to shut that down and go into training. And, and what we wanted to be able to do was go further in depth you know, with uh, the velocity work we do on the pitching. And we wanted to be go wanted to be able to go further in depth and get more swings in offensively to initiate the changes in, in some swing paths and patterns, movement patterns there. Uh, and so we actually didn't even take the full allotted number of days that the NCA um, allows you. Uh, we, we got to the point, we played two outside competitions. We did a certain number of scrimmages and we said, all right, boom, we're done. Now let's train. And so what we did with that is we went into our, our individuals. We did that for the rest of the fall. And we had, uh, and it worked out really nice for us because we took, we had the last week of September 
all of October, all of November to train. And so we got further into things that in the past, you know, with the pitching end of it that we didn't get to. And then offensively, we did the math. You know, I think by the end of the fall, we'd taken 120, 130,000 swings as a group. So from day one, it was team come in, you know, work on the concepts that that we want to instill, the way we want to play. I thought the young men did they did a tremendous job this fall. And then, uh, you know, in the weight room, it was in season lifting while we were in team. And then once we were done, it was, you know, go find whatever is heaviest in the weight room and go pick it up and move it and then put it down and then do it again. And and our strength coaches did that, did a phenomenal job with that. And so this fall was a little different for us, but uh, in talking with Coach Buck and where we were at at the end of it, we really liked it. We're going to stick with that methodology for a while, you know, because we saw some really nice gains and the the folks that were following us on Twitter were able to kind of keep up with the boys and see how they were progressing. And it was it was really neat for the boys, you know, the more we put them out there and, and showcase what they could do, the more confident they got in themselves, which was, you know, part of the reason we did it is to with, with the kids in this day and age and social media, you know, our thought process was the more we could put them out there and, and show others and show themselves uh, being successful and doing things at, at a really good level, mm-hmm. then, you know, it turns into, OK, coach, what's next? And so it became a competition this fall for on a daily basis. What do I need to do to get on coaches Twitter? What do I need to do? Nice. Well, you need to you need to perform at a certain level. And so the internal competition became something that Coach Buck and I, you know, we kind of sat back and we got out of the way of because it was a thing now where when we had, you know, quote unquote difficult days or the the, the hard days, if you will, of training. The guys attacked it. They were having fun with it. There was a lot of smiling and laughing and, and trash talking. Uh, but it was a daily competition and it would get intense to the point like when we would post something on Twitter that evening, you know, the guy that might have finished right behind in a certain category, be like, coach, well, I can't get any love. No, you can't, <laughs> man. You finished, you finished second. So, you know, we'd Ricky Bobby them all the time. You know, if, you, if you're not first, you're last, but it was really neat to watch how that evolved and what that turned into. And the more we did it, the more competitive they got. And the more competitive they got, the better they got. And at the end of the day, you know, that's what every coach wants. And so for us, it was a little bit of experimentation and it really seemed to work and the kids enjoyed it and and we saw results. And so it just kind of fed itself. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, I can only imagine that. And, and again, looking at you guys on Twitter, it, it, that did look like a lot of fun. So talk to us about what you guys did measure to bring out that competition in practice. Are there some specific things? Did it change week to week or did it kind of stay the same throughout the entire fall and you have your, you know, your PRs and once you hit them and then they got on Twitter or how did that work? So during team, you know, we, we would measure the things we normally measure, which most, most coaches do, you know, we, we, we chart bullpens. We do all the standard stuff that way, like most folks do. Uh, but we post everything that that's one of the things. If you come into our program, you're going to always know where you're at because we're going to post more things than, than probably the kids even want to know or see about. But, you know, we'll, we'll post rankings every week from bullpens on, uh, spots hit percentages, all that sort of thing. You know, offensively during scrimmages is quality at bats. 
those are always ranked, so you know exactly where you're at. We we chart and keep up with hit by pitches, ball and dirt reads, stolen bases. All those things are ranked every week, so you know where you're at. And it, and it allows kids to start to learn their game and within their game how it can benefit the team and how the team can benefit from their game. And so you start to see guys after a little bit of time on that end of it go, okay, hey, I'm really good at this, so, you know, maybe I can help the team doing this a little bit more. And it gives them value, and it gives them a sense of belonging, if you will, uh, of being part of something. And you don't always have to be – number one in that area but you could be number one in another area and so we you know we do all that during team sessions and then once that was over with that's when we got into the um, you know individual competitions within groups and and so the velocity training with the pitchers you know the different and and not everybody and I get this question a lot but not everybody did the exact same throwing so we have guys that are in their second year in the program and so their off season velocity work is different than the guys in their first year and the guys that are in their third year is different than the guys in their first and second year you know we just kind of we lay a foundation the first year we build on it the second year and the third year you kind of add another brick to the to the foundation if you will and so every day for them is a measurement and then once we got the modus sleeves, that kind of just took it to a whole nother level. The velocity training measurements every day, uh, competitions every day. Uh, you know, for long tossing, we're having a competition in, in the off season. Uh, you know, we'll set that up, and then obviously they they're they have a lot of freedom in there to do certain things. And then when we compress, we always as coaches we're always talking about the more we can measure things, the more it motivates players. Honestly, this was one of the kids' ideas this fall. They're like, coach. On long toss days, when we compress, we're not really measuring anything. We're not competing so as much as, you know, we do in other stuff. Can we just start competing on our compressions? I was like, yeah, would you guys be into that? And they're like, absolutely. So we busted out the radar, and now they're competing when they're doing their compression throws. And then the intent level goes through the roof. And If, if I could just interrupt you just for a second. Is yeah. compression throws uh, your pull downs when, when you're coming in? Yeah. Yeah, okay. those are okay. our pull downs. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. No problem. And then, you know, offensively, what we did, and I thought Coach Buck and Coach uh, Hunt did a phenomenal job with this. They created a manual for the hitters so that they could track their progress every single day. So we were working on exit uh, velocity, launch angle, all that stuff. But within the the system we were doing in the training with with the axe bats, uh, the kids had a manual. And so they tested once a week for peak exit velo, and then they, they tracked their their exit velocity uh, during the week. And so now the the testing days for hitters became just as competitive as it as it was for the pitchers. You know, they're getting after it, they're 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 talking trash. If they don't hit a PR, they're they're upset. And then they, you know, one of the great things is they learn how to handle failure because you're not always going to hit a PR, but how are you going to react to that? Can you come back and continue to barrel balls up or do you roll over? Do you flare? Uh, and so I think there's a lot of stuff that can be learned for the athletes just through that type of competition, you know, but they, they tracked that all fall. And, and then coach Buck, I think he put a couple of graphs out in the fall showing like the progress of some of the hitters and their exit velocities and the, and the dips and peaks. And, you know, there's a correlation in there. We, we would see some dips, you know, when we would get into some heavier stuff in the weight room and, and things like that. But, you know, that's a, a different conversation for a different time. But, you know, that's how we created competition in a lot of areas and just we would give them the measurables and say here it is and here's how you rank this is where everybody is at and then what we did from there hitting wise was just 
you know, we put them in groups now. Now we classify them and say, okay, hey, you know, these are the guys with power. These are the, the, the guys that are more athletically rounded. These are the guys who have different skill sets offensively who, you know, they don't need to operate at a 25 to 35 degree launch angle. They need to be more 10 to 15 degree launch angle guys to be effective and productive. And then they compete within there on their exit velocities within their groups at their angles. And, and what you saw, like I said, is just the, the, the competition fed off of itself. And it made it a lot of fun as coaches because every day you showed up, the kids were hungry for more. And I think that's one of our challenges as coaches is what can we do daily to, to keep the kids engaged, to, to have them want to be out there to, to get the work in that they need to get in to, to improve. And so we, we were really pleased with how the fall went and, and just – the things that we saw and there's some things we're going to tweak as you do every year and, and add uh, next year that, you know, some of it was the kids ideas on how to make it better. And some of it was ours from a training perspective. So that, that that's kind of what the fall was about for us and what it looked like a little bit. And you guys really put an emphasis on individual development within the team setting. I, I think that's fantastic. What you guys were doing with, with the Moda sleeve, with the weight of balls, and even with the, the manual that you were talking about with having the kids track everything that they've got and then posting it. But for the, uh, for the hitter hitting groups, I may or may not know the question or the answer to this question, but how do the kids know which groups that they're in? And did you maybe have unique names for each of those groups? <laughs> well, the, the kids get to name their own groups okay. unless they don't meet the time deadline uh, we gave them. And so there was one particular group that didn't meet the time deadline. So the name was assigned by the coaches and they don't know what their name means. And we're not going to tell them. We've, we've told them they have this year to figure out what their name means. Um, and so that that's a fun interaction every day. They're throwing words at us, looking for clues and stuff like that. But outside of that, the other groups, they got to name themselves. And, and really what it is, you know, it's just something that, that we picked up listening to, to Coach Degg's talk and, and, you know, the pack mentality and, and uh, having different roles. And it's something we've done here for a while, you know, but it's, it's the skill set of each individual player, what fits their skill set best. And then we put them in the groups accordingly so that when we're working on a certain concept, you know, it, it's that group of five guys and they all have the, a similar concept because they have similar skill sets. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the little guys like to, they, they always want to try to make it into the Moab group, which is the big donkeys that, and, uh, vice versa. But, uh, you know, Moab always likes to try to prove during practice that they can run, which is extremely humorous because they can't. But yeah, so they're, they're put in groups by their skill set. And then what Coach Buck did that was, a, I thought, really a phenomenal job this fall was, once we had all of our exit velo information and our launch angle stuff and, and those sort of things, he was able to even narrow it down more for him or, or, or focus it in a little bit more. And it became within each group. Okay. So for example, in Moab, these are our guy, our big knockers, our guys that, that we, you know, quote unquote, pay to hit it over the, the fence. And, uh, but not all of them in that group need to operate at the same launch angle. Right. So, once we learned that and, and the, the information we learned from the Rapsodo and different things, and it became, okay, now within Moab, these two guys over here have similar attributes and similar launch angles that, that they operate at that makes them successful. So now when we're doing individual work, you two guys are working together. You two guys in Moab have similar launch angles 
that are not quite the same or maybe above the other two. And so we're going to pair you guys up because you're is, is very similar. And now when you're working together, you're working with somebody who is working on the exact same thing you are, the exact same theory, the exact same uh, philosophy within that group. And so then the two of you can grow together. And that became something that, again, internally fed itself. And uh, it, within those groups, you almost have subgroups, if you will. Uh, but it's really neat to see the kids take ownership of that and want to help each other out because they're like, hey, this guy's like me. And so now I have somebody I can identify with, which is a huge thing for human beings, right? We all want to be able to identify with somebody or something and be similar to somebody or something. And now they have it within their group. And so it's a, it's been really neat to watch those guys feed off of each other, hit together within their groups. And then in those subgroups really push each other, uh, from, from a head coaching perspective. Uh, again, I think coach Buck hit that one out of the park. So you talked earlier about how you want your players to act on and off the field. Do you guys specifically, uh, take time out of uh, out of your week to go over team or leadership building or is it just kind of a a daily thing we're probably similar to most every program out there it's a daily message you know that the coaches reinforce one thing we do a little differently uh, in the fall uh, is we give up one day of physical practice by ncaa rules so you know when we are in our uh, this year it's 15 hours a week team setting what we would do we give up one day of physical practice and we go into the classroom and so, you know, we, we, as coaches, we always talk about, and I've said this for years, is at the end of every season, when you look back at it as a coach, you never sit there and go, man, if we had taken one more BP, we would have been national champions. If we would have taken one more bucket of ground balls, we, we would have won our conference. Uh, you know, at least in my coaching career, I've never said that at the end of the year. But I have said, if we could have reached one or two more young men, that could have been the difference. And so what we do is, is we, we try to, to put that into practice. And by that, I mean, we go into the classroom and we go over life skills stuff. And, and then we teach them how that life skills, those things apply to their everyday life at home, in the classroom, in their personal life, and then how that also translates into baseball. And, and what you see and what we've seen over the years is the better they get at those life skills things, the better they become at baseball. And so. I think it's absolutely worth giving up a day of physical practice, you know, each week to, to go over those things. And, and the growth we see from our kids year to year and the compliments we get from their parents on, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on, but, you know, Johnny's completely different. And he, he is turning into the young man I'd always hoped he'd turn into as a head coach. That's that's what it's all about, really. And, and that's what we, we get fired up for. And so, you know, that's just one thing we'll do is make that sacrifice on the physical end. And so we think it's big. We enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. And you're practicing what you're preaching, essentially. Yeah. And so we tell the kids, you know, hey, the the more organized you become in, in your everyday life, the better you're going to become at baseball. And, and they, they all hear that. They've been told that, but they don't know what that means. You know, they don't understand maybe necessarily what real time management looks like. So what does it mean when coach says, you know, invest your time away from the field? Okay, well, fellas, we're going to sit down in the classroom. We're going to go over this. Here's your 86,400 seconds every day. What are you doing 
you know, with, with, with this? Are you, are you just wasting it? Are you giving it away or are you owning it and making yourself better? And, and then once that light bulb goes on for the kids, now what you see at the field is you see them take ownership of parts of their game that they know they need to improve on and they make time for it. So it's always interesting to watch a young man have that light bulb go on in the classroom and then conversely over at the field, all of a sudden, hey, coach, can we come out a little bit early? Can you hit me some extra ground balls? I, I don't feel like I'm hitting my V cut as, as well as I could. Absolutely. Time management. Now where before it might be, I'm going to play this video game as long as I can before I go to practice. It's I'm going to give that up so I can go out there and get better. And the more I invest in myself, the more I've invested in the team. And that's something we try to get them to understand is your personal growth makes all of us better, right? Whether it's a team or a society or whatever you're looking at as, as a group of people, when you grow as an individual, all those that you're involved with automatically grow too because you became more and because you became more we all become more and so that that's a that's a theme we try to get across to them definitely so you mentioned these these couple things throughout the entire podcast with with the moda sleeve and the rap soto but let's go ahead and let's dig into how you're actually using those because it's one thing to have them but it's another thing to actually use the data that you get from them so can you go into some detail and Granted, most of our listeners don't have the luxury of having either yet. So can you give us like an entry level discussion on what, you know, how to use the data that we get from both of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start with the Rap Soto uh, on the, both the offensive and pitching in. And so one of the things we did this year, every coach, no matter where they're at, you're always evaluating what it is you have, what it is you need. And it goes back to that, you know, that old saying of do the best you can with what you have, where you're at. And so when we made this commitment in the summer that we wanted to kind of change some things, we knew we needed to be able to measure more things to help motivate the kids. And so uh, my job at a smaller program at that point becomes to go out and raise money. And so through the years of cultivating some relationships and things like that, we were able to come up with the money to purchase. Um, we're very, very fortunate in that we got two Rapsodo hitting units and we got two Rapsodo pitching units, um, which was a large purchase for a, a, a program like ours. And so what we do on the hitting end with it, uh, what Coach Buck does is when he's working with a small group of guys inside, we've got a, you know, big 55 inch TV that we've got it hooked up to. And it, it's just a, it's a, really a live video game for the kids. So they're working on whatever part of their their swing or their approach that they want to work on and their intent. And so now it gives them instant feedback. And there's a huge correlation. We've set it up on the field. It reads it correctly as far as where it's going to go, the distance and everything. Uh, so now when you're in the cage inside or in the outdoor cage here, you're getting feedback. So now visually the kids can stick to their approach and they know with how that swing felt and the contact of the ball, how that felt, where it went in the cage, they get the feedback of, Hey, that was, that was a good one. Uh, that, that one, not so much. Okay. Why wasn't that one? Well, if you look at it, I got out of my approach a little bit. I got, I, I went down out of the zone. Well, I can't elevate and drive that way. So, okay. Now what do I need to do? I need to stay patient with the elevation you know, get my best swing off with good intent and see what happens. Uh, so it, it's instant feedback for the kids and it's, it's made it better for us as coaches because now our relationships are different where you're, you know, it, 
when it's just you in the cage and, and you can see it, you, you, you're constantly almost, you had to kind of be on them a little bit about, Hey, this, we need to be here. This, this is what you got. And, and the kids, you know, they may not see it that way. Now it puts everybody on the same page. And so from the hitting end, it's phenomenal on the pitching end. Uh, we've used it to help guys understand their stuff, uh, their spin rates, their spin efficiencies, um, how their stuff works, how it plays. It's been really neat to watch the kids uh, grow with that, you know, and, and we made it simple and we just classified guys. We said, you're either going to be a north south guy or an east west guy, depending on what your spin rate is and your spin efficiency. The higher spin rate guys will be north south. The, the, the lower spin rate guys will be east west guys. And so now it gives them the ability to not just have a, a coach going, Hey, we're not going to expand the zone as much with you east and west. We're going to operate more north south. Well, beforehand, the kids would be like, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, why would I throw a pitch down the middle? And now you have the data and you can show them, look, hey, here's where the ball looks like it's going to go to the hitter. Here's where it actually goes. You have a higher spin rate. So we're going to call more pitches to the middle of the zone and allow your stuff to play. Mm -hmm. uh, so it gives them the, that feedback to to understand and, and know how their stuff plays and then how to pair pitches together. Uh, that's been a lot of fun for them. You know, so I think the Rapsodo end of it has been phenomenal from the feedback they get the growth that you see and it keeps the kids engaged uh and at some points you actually got to go okay hey now don't forget you still got to throw the ball with intent you know because mm -hmm. there'd be times in the bullpen they want to try to spin it a little bit differently and you know so but it's a lot of fun because you can you it also helps you with intent whether it's at the plate or on the mound right so hey, the more intent we swing with Obviously, the higher exit velo. The more intent we throw with, obviously, uh, you know, the firmer we're going to throw it. But then, you know, it's helped us with our off-speed stuff, too. Uh, our off-speed stuff is noticeably better this year than it has been in the past. So that's been a plus. Do you want me to just go straight into the modus end? Well, I was going to actually ask you about okay. uh, the north-south guys. So something that I've been really pondering <laughs> in the last couple of weeks is, high fastballs. And so mm -hmm. you know this and, and me growing up, what did we want to throw? We want to throw it at the knees. And if we elevated it at all, it was a bad pitch. Well, now, I mean, with all the data that we're getting, it's coming out with, okay, now we want to elevate the fastball because slugging percentage is way, way less when you throw it, you know, to the belly button sternum area. And so kids are looking at me like I'm crazy. But it, and and again, it just goes back to are you a, and for us, we don't have a Rapsodo, but are you a hard four-seam guy that the ball doesn't run a ton? Or are you a two-seam sink guy? And that would be your east and west guy that you're talking about. So something that I've been been mulling myself, but uh, but it, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that, that the data doesn't lie, but it's something that baseball culture tells you one thing, and then data tells you another, and how do we find that fine line between without losing the kids? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think... You know, the, the, the beautiful thing with where we're at in, in the evolution of our game right now is we're really at the beginning learning point of all the things that we thought we knew and learning how some of them were true, some of them weren't. And, and with all the ability to collect this data and learn, uh, the game's going to now, finally, we're going to evolve as a game at a lot quicker pace than it ever has before. And I think that's really exciting. And I think the kids that are coming up, 
you know, they are so fortunate with the amount of information that can be provided to them so that they can become what it is that they're dreaming to become. Give them the best chance that they can. And to your question or, or your point on the, uh, you know, do, are you hard for seam or two seam? You know, I think one of the beautiful things, too, that if you have the ability to have a, a, an item like a rap soto or what have you, it makes your job as a coach easier because your eyes don't lie to you. You know what you see, but it gives us the ability to prove it to the kids and go, hey, here, here it is. You know how we've been talking about your two seam is probably going to be more effective than your four seam. And the kid is like, well, I don't know. Four seam, I've been told my four seam is harder. And so I want to throw harder. Well, this gives you as a coach the ability to go, Hey, here you go, man. You know, I love you to death, but here's what the numbers say. So mm-hmm. let's work at this. And, I, and I'll give you a prime example. We have a young left hander that, you know, forcing, forcing, forcing and struggled all fall. Couldn't get anybody out all fall. Struggled the first part of spring scrimmages in, in every bullpen you know, using the rap soto. Uh, you know, I would just suggest, hey, what do you, the numbers suggest that we should throw a two seam, that you, that you, you should use your two seam more often, you know, and, and every young man is always at a point, you know, your job, our job is to give suggestions and then they've got to be at a point in their life where they're willing to listen, whether it's baseball or, or life stuff. You can only make suggestions and then eventually we all grow to a point where we're willing to hear what's being said to us, right? So we had a scrimmage this, this spring before we started and, and, uh, he gave up a three run home run on a four seam fastball. Uh, he was done. You know, I just simply asked him, I said, Hey, you know, what pitch was that? And he said, four seam fastball. And I said, just ask him, I said, what, what do you think about maybe working on that two seam sinker or in the next bullpen and, and just see what we get? And he just kind of looked at me with that look in his eye that as coaches we've all seen and he was ready to hear what I had to say at that point. And so, you know, I sat him down before the next bullpen. I said, look, here again, here's what the numbers say. I'm not telling, I'm not making you any promises. I'm just saying, here's what the numbers say. Let's work on this. So in the bullpen, you worked on it and it's a good two seam. It's a, it's that good left-handed two seam that disappears from the right-handed hitter's barrel. And, uh, next scrimmage out had the best outing uh, that he'd had since he's been here. Did it again, his next outing. And then, you know, he made his first collegiate appearance last week and two seam fastballs and, and a lot of success. And he came back in and it, it's one of those things where it was fun. He was like, thanks coach. Thanks for keeping on me about the two seam. Mm-hmm. He goes, I, I see it now. I get it. And I'm like, there you go. And, and, and that's that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the important part about having that data now that, that you can help them learn what it is. God gave them the ability to do because not everybody is a high spin rate guy. And so those guys that aren't need to have another game plan to, to execute with. And it allows you to help them with that. Definitely. And it's something that, that and we don't want to stay on the rap soto for too long, but it's something that, you know, three or four years ago that if the kid doesn't buy in, then, then he, we may have lost him. And that's just yeah. extremely unfortunate. Absolutely. And, and you may not have had the ability. We didn't, we wouldn't have had the ability to prove it to him. We mm-hmm. know what our eyes told us, but. You know, we've got to be able to convey that message to the kid and get him to believe in it. And, you know, sometimes just your word of mouth obviously isn't good enough. They need facts. I mean, the, the kids these days, they have so much information available to them. You need to be able to prove things to them because just word of mouth isn't good enough anymore. Definitely. So we haven't gotten to talk about the Moda sleeve, which I think is is extremely, extremely cool. And it's something that's new. It's something that not a lot of people have yet. But it's something that you guys have had for several months and you're using the data to really set up 
you know, how much you guys throw, you don't, uh, and just, yeah, dig into it with that for us. Yeah, that, that's been, as my wife says, the modus uh, throw sleeve has reawakened my inner nerd. And so <laughs> it is everything that I, as, as a, a pitching guy, uh, have kind of wondered and hoped for over the years where uh, it, it gives you the information that you need because uh, I think as a pitching coach, part of the, the biggest challenge we have is programming arms. How do we keep them safe? How do we keep them healthy? What is what exactly do we need to do with them? And uh, what we've been able to do with this, and, and it's it's been interesting the more that we've put out there on, on social media, to be honest with you, the amount of people that have reached out. You know, I was actually joking with the uh, the Modus guys last week. I was like, man, you know, I spend more time answering questions at night now with coaches uh, than I do making recruiting calls. And so I told them, I said, you guys need to hire hire me another assistant coach to pick up my slack on the recruiting end because uh, Bucky got Bucky got upset with me last week. Uh, I was supposed to make a, a recruiting call and I didn't get to it because I was on the phone for four hours with with a couple different coaches going over this and. We met in the morning. He was like, Coach, what do you got for me? I was like, ah, I didn't get to that phone call. And, uh, you know, it's never good when you're the boss and <laughs> your assistant kind of give you that look of, are you kidding me? You didn't do your job. But, yeah, it, it's phenomenal. And it, it allows us to monitor the stress levels. It, it allows us to monitor a lot of different things. And then uh, what we've been doing, and I think what a lot of people have found interesting uh, and why so many people are reaching out is, I think what we're doing that's a little bit different is we're using it to, to tweak and monitor our throwing protocols weekly, and it allows us to take each pitcher and give him a daily game plan for what is exactly best for his arm. Where before, you know, if you don't have this information, and I didn't have this information up until this year, you know, you did the best you could with your eyes and you're communicating with the kids and how do you feel today? you know, okay, within the framework of what we want to do, we need to push today, we need to pull back today. And you kind of just went off the word of the kid and what your eyes told you, and you did the best you could with the information you had at the time. Uh, What this allows us to do is take hardcore data, look at it, see the readings. The kids record their arm health every day. Uh, They do it every day before they leave the field. And then what I do at night is I go home, go through each kid's metrics, look at it, game plan for the next day. And then when they come out for practice, you know, we may have 10 different guys with 10 different needs, depending on where their arm's at. And that's the beauty of it is now we can have 10 separate throwing protocols for the day. And so that's one of the things we've used it for. And we've seen a lot of benefit from, and it's just been amazing to see how that works and, and those sort of things. Uh, and, and I've I've taken an interest in that as well. You by putting you putting out so much information, it's it's really gotten me intrigued. And I'd heard about it before, but just being able to see it live, like with an actual team, it definitely helps. And and it's just like anything else. It's how does this work for my program? But I think you've done a good job of of conveying that information. And I'm sure there there will be some more coaches' phone calls that'll be asking you for your advice. But but let's go ahead and skip forward to the spring. Okay. And any practice organization advice that you've come across, just anything that could save us time, any anything that you guys that do that that's a lot of fun that your kids love, just anything like that, if you could throw that out for us. Yeah. So in the spring, what we do is um, we took this concept. We've done it for a while now. I learned it uh, a few years back, just picking other coaches' brains and things like that. But 
you know, a, a, what we call it a typical day at practice for us is we run it almost like a football practice from the standpoint of we have practice divided into chunks. We have a stopwatch and a whistle. And so it keeps the, the pace of practice moving. And so I'll give you an example. Example one would be, so we'll meet for five to 10 minutes, either, you know, I'm going over some head coach's notes or we let the kids give a presentation over a certain topic. And then we may go straight into picks and looks. So we'll do picks and looks for 15 minutes. Um, the way we have that set up is seven and a half minute rotations. Uh, we have a student manager has a stopwatch and he has the whistle. So we start, he starts the stopwatch at seven and a half. He blows it. The kids switch and they rotate to where they know they, the, the next rotation for them is. Uh, we do another round for seven and a half minutes. Boom, he blows the whistle. Uh, then we go into position player stretching. Uh, then once we, we have 10 minutes for that. Once we finish there, uh, position player throwing. They follow their Jager band routine and then the, whatever throwing protocol we have for them that day. Uh, and then we go into individual defense. And so we'll take 30 minute, a 30 minute chunk of individual defense. And so, uh, I have the infielders. Coach Buck has the catchers. Coach Hunt has the outfielders. And so within that framework of 30 minutes, we're normally going to have three main points that we want to teach and work on on a daily basis. When our student manager starts the, the individual time, he gives us five minute incremental just heads up. Coach, you got 25 minutes left. Coach, you got 20 minutes left. He makes the rounds. He's letting us know so we can stay on task because as coaches, sometimes we have a tendency to talk too much and not let the kids work enough. And so it allows us to go, here's what we're doing. It allows us as coaches to stay on point a little bit more. And so we can hammer out those three main learning points in 30 minutes or 10 minutes each. Then he blows the whistle. Uh, then we go straight into team defense. Uh, from that team defense, we're going to take another 30 minutes and do the same thing. We're going to have three concepts on that particular day, 10-minute chunks, and he keeps us on task uh, there. And then he'll blow the whistle again. Boom. We get it set up for BP. And then within BP, you know, we'll have the different things we're working on, live base running, live ground balls and fly balls, you know, all, a lot of things that uh, a lot of the coaches out there already do. Uh, but that has helped us stay on point a little bit more. It's shaved down the, the practice time and the amount of time that they're out here. And it keeps us on point. And it keeps us moving. Now, we do a lot of different things within that and, and, and stuff like that. But that's one way instead of just showing up, stretching, throwing and taking BP that it's a little bit different. And I think it keeps the kids getting engaged a little better. Uh, they, they know that things are going to change every couple of minutes. And so they're able to, to give you more of their attention. And then uh, when it's time to move on, they're ready for it, which honestly, I mean, isn't that the way our game goes anyway? Sure. Uh, it, it changes for us, right? The, the environment and the situation changes pitch by pitch. And so uh, that's one way we work to try, to try to replicate that a little bit in just a quote unquote normal practice. Got it. I love it. And does the routine stay or at least the skeleton of the of the practice look the same every single day? And then you, you just uh, you just change the different topics, I guess. Uh, it does. The skeleton will remain the same on okay. that day, week to week, but each day is a little bit different. The, the way my brain is wired, the way Coach Buck's brain is wired, we don't like to do the same thing two days in a row. So we'll have a different challenge each day or a different concept. But, you know, the, the skeleton of that particular day. So the kids know on a Tuesday, the, the outline of practice is going to look like this. And then they know on Wednesday, the outline of practice is going to look like this. Now, 
what happens within those two different outlines will be different and the time frames and chunks will be different, but they understand Tuesday means this, Wednesday means this, and Thursday means this. I got it. I love that. And, and it keeps, I'm a big fan of routines that aren't monotonous, if that makes sense. Yeah, we love, we love routines. And what we like to say is our, our routine is routine to us. And it's not routine to obviously anybody else, but that routine of a different framework each day is routine to us. And so the, uh, I think it helped, like I said, it keeps the kids engaged and it keeps the coaches engaged. Mm-hmm. And that's the more engaged we are, conversely, the more engaged the kids are, right? You got it. Definitely. So if you're going to ask any of your players what's something in practice that they love to do, what would they say? Uh, the Jolly Rancher Player of the Day. That is, we started doing that this year, and I did not know the kids would get so fired up for a Jolly Rancher. What we did in the fall, uh, along with the competitions, is to make everything, you know, anything and everything a competition uh, that we could. We would just simply identify as a coaching staff uh, four different areas, the pitcher of the day, the hitter of the day, the defensive player of the day, and then the war dog of the day. And so what we would do, for example, in scrimmages is the pitcher of the day doesn't necessarily mean the kid that pitched the best, but maybe the kid that overcame something, the end result wasn't the greatest, but he handled adversity the best out of anybody that day. And so, boom, there's your pitcher of the day. The hitter of the day doesn't necessarily mean the guy that got the most hits, but who had the most productive at bats within a team setting or what hitter handled adversity, you know, because we'll, we'll purposely make bad calls during scrimmages to see how kids will handle it, you know, like a lot of other people will and things like that. Uh, then the same thing for the defensive end and then the war dog. And the thing that, that we saw that really took off with that this fall was as coaches, we didn't have to ask for guys to go get foul balls. We didn't have to ask for guys to, get a pit crew going for the catchers as they're they're getting their gear on in between innings or, you know, this and that. They understood that the coaches were looking for the little things to get done and they got after it. And I mean, it was, that was probably the most intense one was the, the Jolly Rancher of the day for the war dog. And man, you talk about guys that may not have been in the scrimmage that day, bringing in energy. Uh, that, that was something to behold because, you know, every coach, We'll tell you once you get into team a little bit, the, the intensity level of scrimmages will fall off because it's, kids get tired, beat up, worn down uh, during a team setting. And those guys brought energy every day and they brought energy because they wanted a, a little one inch piece of candy. And so that that for us was phenomenal and something we're going to continue to do as long as the kids like Jolly Ranchers, you know, <laughs> uh, they, they don't turn it into something we can't afford. But <laughs> got it. I love that. And, and it's something that's so simple, but. It's just another added layer of competition, and, yeah. and, it, and it's getting the stuff done that you want done that's usually a pain, but you add something on the line, and they're like, okay, I'm in on this for sure. So that's, that's great. So let's hop into the advice section. Uh, so your oldest son is at Vanderbilt, and we have a lot of dads that listen that sons play baseball who also, they happen to be their coach or, or a coach in general. So what would your best advice be as a dad of a baseball player? Now, what's the fine line between I want to coach my son really well, I want him to do really well, versus, you know, I don't want to be the overbearing dad. And it seems like, I mean, obviously your son is is a very high academic kid to get into Vanderbilt. He's obviously a very good baseball player as well. And if Coach Corbin took him, then he must be a great kid. So what's your best advice on how to raise a kid like that? have a wife like mine. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> Got it. Uh, you know, but 
what what we did, uh, and, and I'm very very fortunate. The woman that agreed to marry me and our beliefs are the same and similar in how we want to raise our children. And so what we did at a younger age is as a coach, you see the good and the bad in your sport all the time. And, and, you know, you kind of go, man, when I have kids, I want to do this and I want to, you know, we all do that. But so what we did with, with uh, Maddox was when he was younger, when I had the ability to, I would help coach his teams, but it was all about having fun. We didn't care about the result. We didn't care about are you the most fundamentally sound? Are you the best player on the team? And, and all of that stuff that you see, uh, it was simply go have fun. Man, how much fun was it when little Johnny got, got a base hit RBI today and scored the tying run for you guys? So we spent a lot of time teaching him how to celebrate his, his teammates and be happy for the other people on his team. Because at the end of the day, you don't know what your kid's going to grow into. You don't know if he's going to have an opportunity like that. So it was all about, we want to teach him how to be the best teammate he can be. And whatever happens from there, fantastic. You know, also being a baseball coach, I think the other guys out there listening, they understand this. You know, I, I didn't actually see my son pitching in high school, which is, is, is hard to understand for a lot of people. But, you know, they played on the same days we did. I didn't get to see him pitch until I think the second to last start of his senior year of high school. And so, we used to joke around about it all the time. You know, people would be like, hey, your son's pretty good. And I'm like, really? I have no idea. I haven't seen him pitch in five or six years. But it, it was just about being there and allowing him space to fail and allowing him space to process it and then allowing him to ask questions when he was ready to ask questions. And even to this day, you know, I spoke with him last night after their series against Duke and uh, we talked about school. We talked about uh, his girlfriend. We talked about a whole bunch of things for maybe 45 minutes before he brought up something about baseball. And so I tried not to talk baseball with him at all costs unless he asked. Now, once he asked, I know he desires some sort of feedback. So at that point, I'll give it to him. But I think in our relationship, I think that's been one of the best things that that we've done is work to get our kids to understand and get Maddox to understand that, you know, baseball is what you do. It's not who you are and who you are is far more important than what you do. And so um, that's kind of just been the big theme for us uh, with our kids. And coming from a dad's perspective on this, and, I, and for me as a coach, this is really, it's a, it's a slippery slope. And that's what, what are you doing in the fall or what is your advice for the fall whenever You've got colleges that want to, you to come throw. We also, we've been throwing since, you know, December, January to get ready for the season in the spring. We threw all summer. And then the fall is really the only time we have a chance to, to shut down arms. Uh, is there a particular time period that you guys do that or you even did that with your son? You know, what's your advice for that? And, and the wor and the hardest part is, is the unsigned senior who is really worried about, you know, is this college going to come look at me and this is the only time of the year? You know, I'm I'm always looking for good advice regarding that stuff. Yeah. So so what we did with my son and, and you know, we had a lot of people that didn't understand it uh, in our community and stuff. But uh, in, in other places was when when uh, the travel season was over, he was done with throwing. And so he would take three months off every year from throwing. And what we did during those three months was, you know, first part of high school, you know, it was football and then it was basketball. And it was get away from the game of baseball. Now, when, once he decided he wanted to focus solely on baseball, it was still the same protocol. At the end of the summer, you're not throwing for three months. And so 
he missed a lot of showcases. There were a lot of things that he didn't go to that a lot of other kids that were being recruited in a similar fashion went to. You know, and, and there were times he would be worried, like, Dad, if I don't go to this, I'm not going to be seen. And, you know, I would always tell him, if you're good enough, they'll find you. You know, and I know that's old school and that's cliche, but, you know, at least a little bit with my background and understanding the, the pitching and the, the throwing athlete, if you will, uh, I'm just a big believer in taking a couple months off. You know, and there's different philosophies out there, obviously. Uh, and we do the same thing with our kids. Um, we have a inning limitation. And if they get to it, then we don't have them throw in the summer. There's no summer ball for you. You know, it's get in the weight room. And so that was something that we always did with my son. And then he would start throwing uh, usually, uh, let's see, travel would end, shoot, when was it? Middle of August. So uh, September, October, end of November, he would start to throw again, you know, and it, it did him a lot of good because we saw incremental increases in his arm strength every year when he had the opportunity to not throw, get in the weight room, work on his athleticism through some different arenas and it paid a, a lot of big dividends for him and i think that's something that in today's culture is hard to do it's hard to say no right it's hard to say no to anything and it's hard to say no to an environment that tells you or your son if you don't come to this you're not going to get an opportunity well yeah you can get opportunities you may just have to explore different avenues for those opportunities and uh you know it, it, big picture looking at it I think for a lot of parents, they need to be cognizant of the big picture year long workload map that their kid is on, you know, and, and how much throwing has he done and, and how much does he not need to do for a while? You know, for the, the kids that haven't been seen yet, uh, that senior guy that, that's needing an opportunity, that question I think becomes a little bit different, uh, or that, that perspective. So you might need to do a couple of things, but I wouldn't do those until, you know, Christmas time, to be honest with you. Because if you're throwing 12 months out of the year, you know, and you're not on an extremely, extremely advanced strength program and an extremely, extremely advanced arm care program, you're going to run into problems. And so I think it's it's a balancing act of, as a parent, looking at what's best for your child and determining that and then understanding that nothing in our sport, as far as exposure, is the be-all, end-all. There, there's not, there's, there's so much out there. You don't have to be at all of them. And I know the people listening that probably run those are going, "Oh God, here we yeah. go, one of those guys." But we didn't do it. I think my son, in four years of high school ball, pitched in two fall scenarios, and that was it in four years. And it I can be done. And again, the re the reason I think that your perspective is unique is because one, you're a coach who who takes his kids through that, but you're also willing to have your son do the exact same thing that you're recommending. So it 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 carries a little bit more weight than you know than if I said, hey, your son needs to shut down. Uh, these are the reasons why, and they're like, well, you know. But if you're willing to put your own son through that through that exact same thing, then I think that 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 carries some more weight. But this is always an interesting question. And that's something that, that I want to pursue in the future, and that's being a head coach. So what do you wish you had known before you became a head coach? You're not ready. <laughs> Ever, right? Ever. No, I think every one of us that's a head coach, if we're honest, when we got the first head coaching job, we weren't ready. Uh, and I think that worries a lot of guys as they get ready to pursue that and look at it. And, and if you think you're ready, you're wrong. Every year you learn and you adjust. At least I hope every year you're learning. and 
Uh, I think that's the biggest thing looking back at my career now. I've been doing this for 20 years is that you're never ready really in anything in life when the opportunity comes. What you need to be ready for is the opportunity. And then you adapt and you adjust along the way once you, you are in that moment. But if guys are sitting around going, well, I need to be better at this and, and do this more and, and that before I become a head coach, you're never going to become a head coach. If the opportunity presents itself, I think uh, being a head coach is, is one of the greatest ways in our profession, our sport to grow. Uh, because you're going to be challenged on a lot of things and you're, you're going to be, uh, questioned on a lot of things that you were never questioned on as an assistant coach. And you need to, you need to be ready for that opportunity and not look at it as, oh man, th- this decision is fatal or it's final. And it's not, uh, you learn, you do the best you can with the information you have at the time you have it. And then you move and you grow. And then I think that's one thing I've adopted in my coaching uh, personal philosophy is move and grow, move and grow, you know, learn, understand, because uh, my beliefs aren't the same as they were 10 years ago. And I, and I kid around with my inner circle. I don't want my beliefs to be the same as they were 10 days ago, because and that means I'm not learning. I'm not challenging myself to grow. And so uh, I think the best advice is you're not ready and don't worry about it because you will eventually turn into the coach you want to be through the adversity, through the, the trials and tribulations of being a head coach. And Coach Conger, I know that you're a guy who is consistently trying to better himself. So throw out your favorite resources and books for us. I'm a big, and I don't know if too many people have heard of this, but um, there's a guy by the name of Brian Johnson, and he has some learning resources. It's called Optimize with Brian Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenal stuff out there. Uh, basically, what he does is he condenses, he reads books for you and then he condenses them down and um, gives you a, a summary. And man, you can go through some books and gain a lot of stuff. He does a phenomenal job with that. You know, I'm a Jocko guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, extreme ownership, uh, discipline equals freedom, read those. And I've gotten a lot of questions the more stuff we've put out with the modus and all, and, and where did I come up with my theories on, on what it is we're doing. And there's there's two training resources that I read years ago that I continue to read, and I put it out on Twitter in the fall. But periodization training for sport and then periodization theory and methodology of training, uh, those two books have shaped my philosophy on, on training pitchers and athletes in general. I'll tell you a really good one that I, I found fascinating uh, was Patriot Reigns which was um, it's a book about Bill Belichick and the inner workings of how he runs the Patriots and um, the different ways they do scouting, the different ways they do player evaluations and how they assign a grade to everything. And um, we've adopted a lot of that within our program as far as uh, a grading system for basically everything you do. And so you know where you're at and you know what you need to do in order to see the field. And if you're not doing something well, here are the steps that, that need to be done. And I think that was a, that was a really good read. And then one I just started yesterday. I thought, I actually thought of you that is uh, going to be an interesting read. It's called 12 Rules for Life mm-hmm. by Jordan B. I just Peterson. That too. I think it just came out. Yeah. Uh, I read the forward. I got through the forward yesterday and, uh, well, I'm going to tear into that thing tonight when I get home. Uh, but looking forward to that one. Got it. And just to, uh, I haven't read Patriot Rain. I, I'm just, I'm about to add it to my list. Uh, I love the Jocko stuff and periodization training has come up several times. So I've got to get that one. But specifically talking about Brian Johnson and the philosopher's notes, I use that yep. as 
a preview to whether or not I should buy a book. And so I'll go, I'll listen to that and I'll go, man, that's, that's, cause what he does is he, he takes a book, he condenses it, condenses it down to like five main ideas. And then I'm like, okay, so some of these, you can get the five main ideas from a book. You don't have to spend hours and hours reading it. And then some of them I'm like, okay, I want to dig in a little bit deeper with this one and try and get more information from it. So that's kind of my, if, if he's done it, I'll go on there and I'll listen to that. And, and like you said, you can tear through a ton of them and just really get the five five main ideas from every book that you're wanting to read. So an, another fantastic resource, definitely. Yeah, he does a phenomenal job. And that's awesome that, that I figured you'd probably be into something like that because that is, that is a great way to, to learn for sure, especially on a busy schedule like yours and mine. Definitely. Uh, and last question for you. For those coaches, myself included, and yourself included, who don't have an unlimited budget, what's the most useful coaching tool you've bought for less than $100? The internet. Nice. Uh, you know, uh, obviously didn't buy the internet for those that might be, <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're always looking to improve, right? You're, you've done a phenomenal job. I've, I've watched you in the short time I've known you grow your podcast and, uh, the things that you're doing and, and the things that a lot of people are doing within our game. And let, let's be honest, it stems from our ability to communicate via the internet. And so, you know, we, we say this all the time and, and I've talked to, about it with uh, guys in my inner circle is in our day and age, you know, there's not a reason, there's no reason to not know something. If you're interested in learning something, it's available to you via the internet, but it's like anything in life. How do you choose to use it? Do you waste time on it or do you use it to grow who you are as an individual? And I think we are so, so lucky to be in a day and age where we have access to this information at our fingertips. And it's just how do we want to utilize that? And I think it's as simple as you and I getting to know one another. It doesn't happen without the internet. And so I, I, I talk to our kids about it, you know, is, is utilize that thing, utilize it for the good that you can do with it. And, uh, everybody out there that's listening, you know, we all have access to the internet now because you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't. So utilize that access to grow and become more tomorrow than you were today. And I think that's been the biggest thing when I've looked at it from that perspective and gone, man, there's no reason not to be smarter. There's no reason not to grow and, and become more. I agree completely. And staying on the subject of the internet, which is a wide topic, where can we find you on the internet? And uh, if they want to get in touch with you. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Conger 31. Brian Conger 31. Um, Got it. And then you can, you can reach me there. Uh, I'm always at answering questions through there. Uh, my email is conger, C-O-N-G-E-R at tarleton, T-A-R-L-E-T-O-N dot E-D-U. I have a Snapchat, but I don't, the only thing I use it for is to keep up with my kids. And I have a Instagram and the only thing I use that for is to keep up with my kids so they can send me pictures or what have you. So, so, you know, it's nice when my son sends pictures from school and, and my daughter as well. But really, th those are about the only two presents I have on, on uh, the, the World Wide Webs, if you will. <laughs> Love it. Now, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? My wife and I, we have a special needs son. Our youngest is, is um, a phenomenal human being. And we just this past summer, uh, we're able to 
get his complete diagnosis. And so it's something that she and I are becoming really passionate about raising awareness for. Um, He's been diagnosed with cardiofaciocutaneous syndrome. Um, it's a, it's a very rare genetic disease. Um, to the best that, um, the specialists can figure out, uh, there's probably 300 people in the world with it. And so there's not a lot known. There's not a lot of support out there. And so my wife and I have kind of made that as part of our why is as my presence on social media grows, we want to use that to help, uh, bring more uh, awareness to this disease and maybe hopefully more research uh, to help other families out um, because it is it is very challenging um, and it's when there's only 300 of you or so in the world it's hard to know that there's somebody else and know that you have support so my wife has been phenomenal at uh, you know reaching out to others on Facebook and stuff like that connecting with people and it's just something that we would like to grow that we have a lot of interest in that we want to help out with and so you know, if anybody ever gets an opportunity to or comes across or knows of somebody who has a child with it, uh, please reach out to, to me either via email or on, on Twitter, um, just because we want to try to connect as many families as we can and, and help the families out with the things that we're experiencing and, and let other families know that you're not alone in some of the things that your frustrations may stem from as far as not knowing. Uh, maybe we've been through it and maybe we can be a sounding board for you and, and maybe we can help you in areas that, that we didn't have the ability to have help in at the time. So that, that's a that's a big passion for my wife and I. And so anybody out there that's listening that maybe, you know, like I said, just just knows of somebody or has heard of it, which I would assume most people haven't. But, you know, if you can put us in contact with anybody, we'd love to help them out and, and you know, help them with resources. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. I am Keeper of the Game.